I'm Dr. Laura Greenfield, and I am passionate about all things teaching, facilitating, social change making, and helping you to create equitable, engaging, and transformative classroom experiences. I left a distinguished career as a professor of communication and education to launch an online business where I help you learn best practices in classroom facilitation, practices it has taken me decades of study and experience to cultivate. I started the Let's Talk Facilitation podcast to offer you straightforward and practical solutions to everyday challenges in the college classroom to turn your stress and overwhelm into confidence and excitement. If you are a current or aspiring college educator who's looking to build a teaching career that you love and that changes students' lives, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Party people, welcome to today's episode where I'm sharing with you my top five strategies for building real community in class. In last week's episode, that's episode 17, I talked about the importance of students experiencing belonging in your class as a critical factor, the most critical factor in their willingness to engage. So if you've been struggling to get students to show up to class, to be prepared when they do show up, and to engage in your discussions and activities, check out episode 17, where I go into detail about positioning the cultivation of belonging as a cornerstone of your pedagogy. So how do we inspire feelings of belonging? Through community building. Today, I'm following up with the concrete, tangible, practical steps you can take to build community in your class. My top five strategies share a number of qualities in common. They all center opportunities for meaningful relationship building. They're humanizing. They allow you and your students to see one another as real people. They provide space for building genuine connections and they provide support for vulnerability, which is a building block for developing trust. In other words, these strategies aren't just about being kind and respectful, although that is certainly important, and they're not about coming up with silly group games to play just to check off some kind of ironically impersonal team-building objective. Yuck. I was super shy growing up, and in some ways I still am, and I used to hate it, and still do, when a new group I joined kicked things off with superficial icebreaker games. I remember my first year of college when the residential advisor on my dorm floor had us all sit in a giant circle and learn each other's names by saying a food item that began with the same letter of our first name. So I was Laura Lollipop, and I felt so stupid saying so. Worse, we had to memorize and repeat back all the names and food items shared by the people in the circle ahead of us. High-pressure performance of recalling meaningless information. I only remembered one person out of about 30 people's names after that exercise. The rest I learned on my own in actual conversations with people. 
So cutesy games that don't actually facilitate real connections, no thank you. Instead, the practices I'm gonna talk about are purposeful and strategic. They're designed to support the kinds of relationships that enable students to show up to class and be valued as their authentic selves. So let's get into it. My first strategy for building community in class is to learn and use everyone's names and pronouns. So I wanna break this down and talk a little bit about names and then about pronouns. So using people's names, it's important that you learn your students' names, that you use them when you're interacting with them, and that students learn and use one another's names as well. So there's a number of ways to help people learn one another's names without doing that sort of high pressure, memorize and recite them in front of everyone kind of activity. So one activity that can be really helpful is simply to hand out pieces of paper or note cards, fold them in half and make a little table tent and bring markers or thick pens and have everyone write their name and pronouns on the tent, set it on the table or desk in front of them where it can be seen and keep those in every class, even if you have to have them on their tables through the entire semester, if that's what it takes in order to remember people's names, do so. In addition to that, beyond just seeing people's names, because everyone is not necessarily going to be able to see, um, depending on their vision and depending on the setup of the room. So you wanna also encourage people to reintroduce themselves and to refer to one another by name in order to get practice throughout the semester. So that might look like during a discussion when somebody goes to share their idea or question in the class, you simply ask them to say their name before they speak. And then later, if a classmate is referring back to a comment or question that their peer posed, they refer to them by name again and say, when so-and-so said this, I really agreed. And if they don't remember their classmate's name, you can make it a habit or you can make it a norm in the class to ask one another their names. So if that student wants to refer to their peers' comment but doesn't remember their peers' names, they could just say, I really liked what you had to say. Remind me your name again? Ah, uh, yes, so-and-so. Thank you, so-and-so. I really resonated with what so-and-so said. Another tip that I want to offer when it comes to learning and using students' names has to do with that very first day of class where you are taking attendance and seeing who has actually showed up to enroll in your class. Oftentimes, professors will read off of their roster and have students raise their hand or shout here if they are present. Instead of doing this, I wanna strongly encourage you to instead go around the room and have students introduce themselves. And as they do so, you can look on your list and check off their name. If you can't find them on your list, you can invite them to check in with you after class to see if you simply couldn't find it, if they're going by a different name or if they haven't yet enrolled. Now, why do this? Well, one, 
it prevents the awkward and uncomfortable experience of having your name mispronounced. So it can be really upsetting for a student, especially whose name is frequently mispronounced, to hear it again mispronounced or to have the added conversation added where the professor says, oh, I apologize if I butcher your name, or they sort of struggle through awkwardly pronouncing it. It can really make a student feel like an outsider, feel like they don't belong in that space. So rather than subjecting them to that embarrassment and othering, you simply have people introduce themselves so that you can hear how that person says their name. This practice is also really important for students who are using a name different than their legal name or the name that they have registered with at your institution. Oftentimes, uh, for trans students, for example, who are using a chosen name rather than their given name, they may not have gone through the legal process to change it or they may not be out yet to their parents. And so their what's known as a dead name, the name they were given but no longer use, may be what's appearing on your roster. And it can be incredibly uncomfortable, embarrassing, or outing the student if you were to read that off out loud in front of the group. So you can avoid that by, again, having the students introduce themselves to you. That's names. Now, pronouns. Why do we ask people to use their pronouns? And why do I encourage you to develop this as a practice in your teaching if you haven't before? Well, doing so, asking people to share their pronouns and you sharing yours normalizes not making assumptions about people's gender and about how people identify. In particular, it creates opportunity to be more welcoming to trans students. So students who identify with a gender different than what they were assigned at birth. Um, it can be more welcoming to non-binary students. Again, students who identify differently than the binary gender they were assigned at birth, um, as well as any other student who may be using um, and a pronoun that may be unexpected to you or to, to other students. And by simply asking for people's pronouns and sharing yours as a regular part of your teaching, you make this normal um, to, to not assume. And it helps individuals not feel put on the spot and feel awkward or like outsiders. Now, I have heard some people who are well-meaning, who are wanting to be supportive of gender diversity, supportive of the idea of not making assumptions, um, who I think are very well-meaning but still resistant to this practice. And one of the reasons that I have heard is that it feels as though you might be putting people on the spot to out themselves or to reveal their gender, which may in fact be counterproductive to the goal. And what I say to this is that 
By asking people's pronouns, you're not in fact asking people to identify their gender. You're not asking people to tell the class, do you identify as male, female, non-binary, trans, etc. And you're not asking them to out themselves. Rather, you're asking to learn how people want to be addressed, how they want to be referred to. So in conversation, when I am referencing you, how would you like me to reference you? So people use all sorts of different pronouns from she, her, to he, him, they, them. Some people will say you can use any pronouns. Some people say I prefer that you not use pronouns and only refer to my name um, and more. So a way to begin this process, if it is not typically done at your institution, it's still a aspect of the culture you're working to build, you can start out by sharing your own pronoun before asking others, putting your pronouns on your syllabus, putting your pronouns on your syllabus line in your email. Um, sometimes people will even link to a website that explains what are pronouns and why am I sharing them so people who are curious can search for more information. Now, despite your best efforts, you as an instructor might accidentally misgender a student. You might use the wrong pronoun. Um, you might uh, unconsciously reveal a bias um, and feel embarrassed about it and feel badly that you may have caused harm and might not know what to do in this moment. So a quick tip, if you misgender a student and that student or somebody else points it out to you, is rather than apologizing, which puts the misgendered student on the spot to have to tell you it's okay or to forgive you, um, instead, simply thank them for pointing it out. So, oops, thank you so much for correcting me. I meant to say and then uh, use the correct pronoun. All right, so that was strategy number one for building community in class, to learn and use everyone's names and pronouns. Strategy number two for building community in class is to establish group norms. You might have heard this referred to as group guidelines, discussion expectations. Um, the idea is that you are naming the values and expectations for how the group is going to interact and be in relationship to one another. So there are many, many different types of norms that you could identify. Some common ones are the idea of make space, take space, which means to be mindful of how much you're speaking and challenge yourself to speak up if you tend to be soft-spoken or to pull back and provide room for other people to speak if you tend to talk a lot. Another community norm might be confidentiality. Perhaps in your class, people might be sharing personal stories or revealing ideas or questions that they really don't want to go beyond the walls of this classroom. So you might establish the norm that the stories or the personal information that people share in this class will not be carried beyond the class. 
You might have a norm where you ask one another to assume good intentions. So if you disagree with something someone says, to approach them with curiosity rather than judgment as your initial response to what they say in order to understand where they're coming from before diving in further and so on. So there, there are many, many more than these, and some you might find are common across classes, and some might be very particular to a course topic, a student population, a institution where you're teaching, and your own personal values. So what do you do when you create these norms? Well, you might write it in your syllabus. It could be a paragraph that it appears. Um, it could be something you print up or type up or save in a, a course website. But somewhere you put it in writing so that everybody has access to that list. You could create these norms on your own. You might feel very strongly about what those should be and you present them to the students. Or what I find even more effective is to collaborate with your students to establish group norms together. This way, students have a say in the kind of community that they are participating in and, in fact, creating together with you. And you'll probably learn a lot of good new ideas from students for norms that you might not have considered. Now a tip if you are going to be working from group norms is to revisit these norms at least once midway through the semester to check in with the group to see how are we doing in following these group norms. So it's one thing to state an intention at the beginning of the term. It's another thing to follow through with them. And having that opportunity to check in to see are we doing a good job, do we need to make any adjustments along the way, can really go a long way in ensuring ensuring that you are in fact creating the kind of environment that you intended. If you'd like more detailed support on how to establish and use group norms, you can check out episode three, how to prepare for difficult discussions, and episode nine, the number one mistake facilitators make when students want to debate about injustice, for a more in-depth discussion on group norms. You can also download a copy of my free PDF sample class discussion guidelines statement by visiting laragreenfield.com forward slash three, that's the number three, and my document called sample anti-racist discussion guidelines statement, which you can get by visiting laragreenfield.com forward slash guidelines. Links to each of these documents would also be available in the show notes for today's podcast episode. So check those out if you'd like more information. My third strategy for building community in class is to begin most class periods by doing check-ins. Check-ins are just what they sound like, an opportunity for each member of the class to check in and say how they're doing. These check-ins can be especially important during the pandemic where people are really struggling to engage and to connect with one another. I recall at the beginning of the pandemic when everything had gone remote. So I was doing meeting after meeting after office hours after class all online over Zoom and it was exhausting. And I looked forward so much to a meeting that I had once, maybe twice a week with a group that I belong to on campus. And I looked forward to this particular meeting above most others because 
this group always did check-ins at the beginning of the meeting. And there was just something about the opportunity to pause and take a breath and just say how you were doing, be real with the people who were there on your computer screen that just humanized the experience of all of us being at home in this strange experience of the pandemic, teaching online all day. In person, it goes just as far as well. So how do you do a check-in? Well, it could be as simple as posing the question, how are you? And going around the room and giving each student a minute or two to answer that question. And what you'll find is over the course of a semester, the answers to these questions will go deeper and deeper as students are getting to know one another better and developing trust with one another. So they might start out really um, simple and tentative, oh, I'm doing fine, I'm a little tired, I stayed up late last night. To the end of the semester, students might say, I broke up with my girlfriend and I'm feeling really sad and depressed and so I went to health services and I met with my therapist and it was so good, so today I'm feeling really supported even though I'm exhausted from what I went through. Uh, so it, students will share all sorts of things and that helps build connections with one another. Instead of asking the question, how are you, you could come up with a more specific question prompt that gets information um, from students that shares meaningful information, um, but maybe through a particular lens or a particular angle. So those might be questions such as, what's your favorite way to de-stress? Or what's something you're looking forward to that's coming up? I have found that students also, if you invite them to help create questions, that they can have some fun coming up with questions that they ask. So oftentimes students have come up with really, really interesting and meaningful and generative questions that I greatly appreciate. And sometimes they come up with really goofy ones, such as what's the grossest thing you could imagine pulling out of your nose? So that was a really gross and yet funny discussion that brought a little bit of humor to the moment. A different way to do a check-in would be to give people a break from all this talking and sharing their ideas verbally to expressing yourselves in a different way. So one activity that I have done for a check-in is by posing the question, how are you? But people answer back instead by making a sound that's not a word and a motion that goes with it. Now, since you can't see me, this might be hard to fully picture, but if you could imagine me putting my hands over my heart and making a sigh. So I might go, <sighs> and so I'm communicating an emotion through that sound and through that gesture without having to put words to it. And I found students really are drawn to this different way of connecting with one another. And it's fascinating to see the ways people use their bodies and their voices to communicate. Now, a reasonable objection at this point might be, that sounds great if you're lucky enough to teach a really small seminar and have time to do all of these check-ins, but I've got a lecture hall full of 200 people and there's no way we could possibly do check-ins. Don't worry, there are variations to this that still get the same results, but use a slightly different method. So one way 
to approach a check-in would be to pose a question to the class that has an answer that would be a yes, no, or a maybe, or a little medium or a lot, or some kind of um, finite answer. And you ask people to raise their hands. So how many people are full of energy today? You raise your hand. How many people are excited for the weekend? You raise your hand. Or it could be a thumbs up or thumbs down. How good is the food on campus? Thumbs up, thumbs down, sideways, and so on. So people can sort of look around and get a sense of how their peers are doing based off of how they're responding to these um, group questions. Another approach with a large group um, or a group that is um, online would be to send students into breakout groups. So break up into some small groups, do some check-ins with a smaller group of maybe five students. So you're still talking, you're getting to know the students around you, you're getting a chance to share how you're doing, having that humanizing moment, but not necessarily with the entire class. And I found that's particularly helpful when you are teaching remotely, um, where people are not physically in the space and able to connect in that kind of way. Now, speaking of leading remote discussions, if you are looking for ideas to engage your students specifically through online teaching, you can check out episode 16, Enough with the Empty Screens, where I go into depth into how to increase participation and read the room over Zoom. So check out episode 16 if you'd like more ideas along those lines. All right, moving on. My fourth strategy for building community in class is to provide frequent or at least occasional opportunities for students to develop one-on-one -on -one connections with each other. Doing so allows more individual relationship building, gives students the chance to strengthen the relationships they're starting to forge in the larger group, and can provide some relief for the shyer and more introverted students for whom sharing in the full group may be stressful or exhausting. So let me give you two examples of ways to provide one-on-one -on -one relationship building opportunities. The first is a five-minute activity called Who Are You? And what you do is you put students into pairs, or you and invite them to choose their own partner. And you have a stopwatch. And for five minutes, each student has the floor with just their partner, no audience. They're off in the side of the room by themselves talking. And the question posed to them is, who are you? And the partner has five minutes to answer that question uninterrupted while the other student listens. And then when the time runs out, it started again for another five minutes and they switch. The other partner now answers the question, who are you? And when five minutes is done, the activity is over. There is nothing for them to do to follow up. They do not respond. They do not review. They do not repeat or summarize. There is nothing to do but sit and listen and be a witness. Now, for some people, this can be really challenging, and that's okay. If a student doesn't want to participate or shares a little bit and then is done and doesn't want to or isn't able to fill that full five minutes, for the remaining time, the partners sit in silence 
until the clock runs out. And this teaches comfort in silence. We don't have to rush to fill the void. It also provides opportunity to think a little. Somebody might share a little bit and think they're done and stop, but this gives them the space to mull things over and they just might share a little bit more after a minute or two of being quiet or not. It's all okay. The value in doing this activity is to provide each student with the opportunity in class that day, even for just a few moments, to really be heard, to speak about who they are authentically. Now, when I do this activity, often at the beginning of the semester, students are more surface level in what they share. They tend to be reciting their resume a little bit more than they are going deep. But as the semester goes on, they start to develop trust with one another. They start to see the benefits of being more vulnerable. They will share more uh, personal details, things that are more significant uh, to them. But again, there is no pressure to. You're not dictating what they have to say or even if they speak at all. So that's one activity. Another activity I learned from a colleague at Hampshire College who at the beginning of every class has all of the students greet each other. So you do not participate in class until you have said hello to every single person in the room. So what I have done um, to try out this activity myself in my own classes is once everybody arrives, I say, all right, let's get up, move around the room and say hi to everybody. And people make their way around and it, it looks a bit chaotic, but it's delightful. And you go around and say, hey, how are you? Good to see you today. And what happens is that people will say more than just hello. And it's lovely overhearing students complimenting one another. I like your outfit today. I appreciated what you said yesterday. Hey, it was cool running into you on campus the other day. Whatever it may be, that it gets people talking. And for the students who are a little more shy, they can simply say, hey, and do a little wave and then move on. Um, for students who are not um, as easily mobile, um, they can stay put in their seat or in their wheelchair, wherever they may be, and the uh, fellow classmates can make their way over and greet that person. So you could try out that activity as well. There are so many others. I encourage you to check in with your colleagues, get on Google, talk to your students about what's happening in their other classes, and little by little, you will grow your repertoire of activities for one-on-one -on -one relationship building. All right, we are at number five. My fifth strategy for building community in class is to address in your class current events as they occur in real time. So this means acknowledging world politics or more local events or even on-campus happenings. And by addressing current events as they happen while you're in your class, this is an acknowledgement that there is a life beyond your classroom. It recognizes that outside events influence inside experiences. 
And so students see that they are not just warm bodies sitting in chairs in your class, but in fact, you recognize that we are all moving through the world in many ways. And there are a lot of things that are going on in the world that are impacting how we're feeling, that are impacting our safety, that are impacting what we're excited about or worried about or consumed by, uh, and more. So how exactly do you address current events, especially if you're not teaching a social studies class, you're not teaching a history class, how do you, how do you bring this in if this is not your area of expertise or doesn't really naturally fit in with the subject that you're teaching? Well, one way to do this is simply at the beginning of class, if there's something particularly noteworthy that has happened in the news or that you've heard about on campus that is likely on students' minds, you can briefly mention it. So that may be like saying, hey, listen, everybody, I'm aware that this thing happened on campus and it might be on people's minds. Is this something you want to spend some time talking about? Or I want to acknowledge what has happened in... XYZ location and how this is really upsetting and concerning to a lot of people. And so I understand if people are feeling a little distracted today or having a hard time. And if that's something that we want to talk about, we could do that. So you're acknowledging that it's happening. You're creating the opportunity if students want to talk about it, but you're not forcing it. You're not necessarily turning this into a lecture or a lesson or providing an analysis in a way that feels sort of beyond your capacity. And depending on what it is, sometimes simply acknowledging it is enough that students will appreciate it. They will say, thank you for pointing that out. No, we don't really need to talk about it. Let's move on with the lesson for the day. Or they might say, wow, thank goodness that you addressed that because I didn't know how I was going to get through class with this weighing on my mind. Yes, let's talk about it. And people want to share their feelings and their thoughts and their interpretations and their questions. And you can let that discussion run its course, or you can be deliberate about how much time you set to it. I have been in classes where we have taken an entire class period to discuss something really significant that has just happened in the world, and we have postponed what we had originally planned for that day for the next class. Um, I've had others where we'll talk for a couple minutes, and then when we've really gotten out what needed to be said, then we move on with the agenda that had been planned. Or I've had some situations where some of the class really, really wants to talk about what has happened and the other class, the other half of the class really doesn't. And so what I've in fact done is provided both opportunities where I have set aside a space for the students who really want to talk about it and they have gone off into the corner for a discussion and the rest of the class has stayed with me to do the agenda that we had planned. So you can be creative and flexible in how you choose to address it. So I want to give you an example of a time when I addressed a current event that ended up being really meaningful in building a sense of community in the class, and in fact, in a really unexpected way, enriched the content of the course itself. So I was teaching a course over Zoom during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol several years ago. And that attack was happening in real time as 
our class was starting. Now this was a class on representations of racism in the popular press. So we had been spending a lot of time talking about history, talking about systemic racism, talking about relationships between identity, particularly in the US context and power and the politics of using your voice to try to make change. And so the attack on the Capitol was not wholly unrelated to the topic of our class, though it was not anything we had explicitly um, intended to address. So a lot of students showed up in class with, you know, they're looking at Zoom and then looking back down at their phones, looking at what was showing up on social media as we're all sort of, we've got one foot in the door in class and one foot um, paying attention to the news. And so I, without a beat, said, we need to acknowledge what's going on. What is happening? What are your reactions? And we spent a good amount of time as a group having a conversation. Now, it was a relatively small group, uh, but there were one or two students who were not present, who showed up a couple minutes late into class and encountered the class talking about the attack on the Capitol. And verbally expressed to us relief that we were talking about it because they had almost not come to class because they wanted to put their attention on what was happening in the news and weren't able to or interested in focusing on the class topic that day. So they had a sense that maybe we would be talking about it and they showed up. And so the fact that I made good on that um, intention um, to address current events when they happened um, is what provided the motivation for some students who might have skipped class otherwise to be there. Now, in addition to having a really robust and meaningful discussion, and I should say, you know, I was processing this in real time. I don't know that I had anything particularly remarkable or intelligent to say about it. Um, and so the students were able to carry a lot of the discussion themselves with their own observations and analyses and questions. And I interjected here and there when I had something to add. But something really exciting that came out of that discussion is that the students that day, the original agenda was that they were going to be deciding on paper topics for projects that they were going to be working on. And what ended up happening because of this um, discussion about the current event was that several students in the class decided to change their paper topic from what they were going to write about to work collaboratively with several of their classmates uh, with whom they had really resonated in this discussion to collaborate on a co-written paper that was analyzing what had happened at the Capitol through the lens of our class. This group went on to be one of the most engaging and close-knit groups of students that I have led. And I owe so much of that to these strategies that I have shared with you today. So there you have it, my top five strategies for building community in class. Let's review them again really quickly to make sure you've got it. Number one, learn and use everyone's names and pronouns. Number two, create and follow group norms. Number three, begin most class periods by doing check-ins. 
Number four, provide opportunity for one-on-one connections among students. And number five, address current events in class. Don't forget to check out episodes three, nine, and 17 if you're interested in digging deeper into some of the topics I mentioned today. And go to laragreenfield.com forward slash three and laragreenfield.com forward slash guidelines for your free PDFs of sample class discussion guidelines statements. Finally, if you have a colleague or friend who could benefit from today's community building strategies, go ahead and forward this email to them and help alleviate some of their stress. Thank you so much for listening in today, and until next time, happy teaching!